0: Our reading tonight is found in Daniel, chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. The picture before we read it is that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Daniel interprets that dream, tells him he's going to be outcast if he doesn't repent for seven years. And this is what happened towards the end of the seven years at the end of that time I, Nebuchadnezzar raise my eyes towards the heaven and my sanctity whoops, turning two pages sorry right.
1: hmm.
0: sorry about that And my sanctity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases. With the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? May the Lord bless his word to us.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes, our ears and our hearts to the wonders of your law. Amen. Power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Lord Acton coined the phrase in 1887 when he wrote to Bishop Crichton that the same moral standards should be applied to all people, political and religious leaders included, because at the time they kind of thought they were above all of that. He coined the phrase, but he didn't invent the idea. The credit for that apparently goes to either Alphonse de la if you're on the French side, or William Pitt the Elder on the English side. But actually we see the truth of this throughout history, don't we? Present-day leaders notwithstanding. And we know leaders who surround themselves with sycophants who feed their leader's ego in the hope of their own self-advancement. The culture around the leaders becomes such as they lose touch with reality outside the little bubble which is their world, which they make their own rules and live their own way. And they think they can do anything, including stopping the tide, apparently. Whether they lose touch with the truth, with reality, or whether they really think they can change the truth, I don't really know. But one of the outcomes often can be mental instability. And we see this happening in Nebuchadnezzar. And as we've already heard this evening, the context of these couple of verses is really the whole of chapter four of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar has a vision, no one can interpret it until Daniel pops up in court. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar's already had a little bit of an example of uh, Daniel interpreting dreams. We'll talk about that a bit more la- later. And because Nebuchadnezzar recognizes him in him the spirit of the holy gods, is the phrase he uses. And this dream was a dream about a tree of luxuriant growth, which represented Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. He sees the messenger come down from heaven saying, Cut down the tree, leaving just a stump. And then let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal until seven times pass for him. This decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know the most high sovereign, the most high, is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth, and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So this whole dream is actually about the living knowing that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. I wondered if it was deliberate that this reading was chosen for Remembrance Sunday when we see the outcomes of people whose pride um, kind of gets the better of them people who want to rule the world in their own way and not in accordance with God's way. And so the story goes on, and in verse 29, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I've built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. And of course, our passage this evening uh, starts with that end of the seven times. And we only got two verses, so we can look at them fairly closely, I suppose. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, and... um, here is the most powerful man, but certainly of, of, of the ancient world, actually been forced to kind of just act like an animal and sort of, you know, right out of society, out of humanity, out of all that society meant. And so from being the most powerful man who had no needs whatsoever. You know, just click your fingers and it will be there. He's become frail. And he's become dependent on God's grace. And all he could do was raise his eyes towards heaven. He couldn't do anything else. He had no power. He didn't, he didn't, his mind wasn't even working. His body wasn't working properly. All he could do was raise his eyes towards heaven. And God healed him. And here's the cycle of grace, which I mentioned the very first time I came to this church. The cycle of grace that God acts. God is the one who acts. He's the instigator. He's the initiator. God acts. And grace always precedes our response. And in this case, of course, his response was Then I praised the Most High. I praised the Most High, honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? So here's Nebuchadnezzar, who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from God generation. So the first thing that Nebuchadnezzar realizes is, is that God lives forever. Now, whether he actually thought he was going to live forever, I don't know. Lots of people, when they're fit and well, don't start thinking of what may be happening in the future. Though I think, actually, in those days, they did sort of start building their tombs and making sure they were going to be really, really nice for them to, to live in forever. But uh, anyhow, maybe it was his illness that made him real, realize his frailty and actually underlined the fact that although Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to live forever, God, the Most High, and his kingdom would live forever. And the second thing he realises is that all peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar had a pretty good run of uh, doing what he pleased, certainly with the peoples on earth. I don't think he managed it with the powers of heaven quite so well, um, because it was the powers of heaven that got him... Uh, wandering round um eating grass and stuff he described his reign could hardly be described as democratic but there were those who stood against him mainly daniel and his friends but against this god no one could hold back his hand not nebuchadnezzar not with all the soldiers and all the all, all the riches and all the stuff behind him could not hold back the hand of God. He lost his sanity, and it was not restored until God decided he was going to restore it. No one could stand against this God, and no one could argue with him. No one could, could, could uh, say, you know, well, explain to me, God, why have you done this? You know, I don't believe with it. You haven't got this quite right. You know, you tell me all about it. That's not how it was. He is God and he doesn't need to explain himself to anybody. But of course, Nebuchadnezzar had had brushes with the God of Daniel before. The first time, as recounted in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a a multi-metal statue, all sorts of bits of gold and silver and bronze and, and all of that. And this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had troubled him, and I guess, and he decided, because he'd actually had a few dreams interpreted by then, I guess, he decided that he was a bit fed up with the way uh, all his interpreters sort of did things. So he'd tell them a dream, and then they make up something. So he decided this time round he was going to make it a little bit diffi- more difficult, and he said, First, tell me the dream, if you just know all about this, and then you can interpret it. And, of course, all the um, various people who are hanging around the court cried unfair at this because this is not how we do it. You tell us the dream and we'll make up something that goes with it. And, of course, they all failed. But Daniel came to the rescue after God's revelation to him in the night. And he told Nebuchadnezzar the dream and its meaning, which I think is why, when Daniel popped up in court for this last late stream we were talking about, he thinks, "Oh yes, you know, the spirit of the holy ones is in this guy; um, he'll be able to help me out." And the result of that confrontation in chapter two was the king said to Daniel, "Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries." Well, you were able to reveal this mystery. So there, Nebuchadnezzar has seen something of the nature of God, the God of, of Daniel. Your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. And then in chapter 3, there was that great statue, the image of gold that he set up in the plain of Dura in Babylon. And when the band struck up, and I just... I've got to, I just love it in the King James Version. Don't you just love it? You know, it's not, don't talk about cornets and things like that, you know. that The the herald cried aloud, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, with a K on the end of it. Ye fall down and worship the golden image. That's glorious, isn't it? Much better than the new translations. But all this little orchestra stands up and starts playing the music, and everybody, of course, uh, falls down. Except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Israelites who uh, had been deported with Daniel. They were having none of this, and they were dubbed in, dubbed in by other jealous officials. And this led to the rather nasty incident of the deaths in the blazing furnace. Do you know there were deaths in the blazing furnace? Not, of course, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but the soldiers who were throwing them in. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I knew I wouldn't be able to keep going <laughs> with that lot who sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted him and defied the, Lord, the king's command. There's a bit of defiance against Nebuchadnezzar. And were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut in pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. So there was Nebuchadnezzar sort of protecting the God of of Daniel and and, and his his friends. Now, in this latest episode, his suffering of this breakdown leads Nebuchadnezzar to praising the Most High God. And again, I mentioned C.S. Lewis um, in relation to the suffering uh, that we were talking about. In in Peter's letter, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speak world conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had certainly been deaf, hadn't he? And actually God got through to him through this, um, losing his mind. And there he was praising the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar called Daniel's God the God of gods. He protected the name of the God of the three friends um, who uh, wouldn't bow down to his statue. And now he acknowledges Daniel's God as the Most High. But, you know, that's as far as it goes. There's no evidence that he ever really understood that, This God of Daniel was the only God. He lived in a world where there are lots and lots of gods. And when he says the Most High, I'm afraid that's only the Most High of all the other gods. So he never really quite got there. And what happened to him after that? We don't know. What about us? So what? It's a very interesting, dramatic story, the whole of that story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. But my lifestyle and yours uh, could hardly be further in that most powerful and tyrannical dictator operating this, in this exotic Babylonian empire over two and a half thousand years ago. So I was thinking, well, this is quite nice, really. I've got a story here, it's nothing to do with me. Because actually, <laughs> I don't run a kingdom. I haven't got satraps. I never know quite what a satrap is, but I don't, certainly don't have any of them. And then there was the morning prayer reading. I think it was Thursday. And uh, we, we use the morning prayer and, and the reflections book, which uh, is published about it. Isaiah 2, verse 12. Do you know it's one of these passages I don't ever remember having read before? (laughs) Do you come across those passages still? And you think, you know, how could I have missed all of that? You probably have read it, but, you know, it's not gone in. Isaiah 2, chapter uh, chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted. And they will be humbled for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the high hills, for every lofty town, every fortified wall, for every trading ship and every stately vessel. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day and idols will totally disappear. People will flee to caves in the rock and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. In that day, people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of silver and idols of gold which they've made to worship. They'll flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. Stop trusting mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in esteem? And the reflection on this passage, which was written by Justine Chapman, Archdeacon of Boston, was this. Pride comes before a fall. Pride is a deadly sin that particularly affects religious people. It expresses itself in self-sufficiency. Ouch. In superiority. Ouch. And in being judgmental. Ouch. A humble person, by contrast, knows their need of God and their worth in God's sight. Being secure, they recognize their need of other people and the gifts and talents of others. Oh, I thought, I'm not quite let off the hook that easily, as are none of us. We all have positions of influence or power, at work maybe, in the church, a club or society that we belong to, our family. And all those trays of... Arrogance, self-sufficiency, pride, self-congratulation that we see almost at a level of parody in Nebuchadnezzar are actually just as ingrained in our lives as in his. We may not have pride to quite the same extreme that Nebuchadnezzar have. Most of us never had that kind of opportunity. But Isaiah warns, The Lord has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. Let us pray.